Kathy, that was beautiful. Thank you. All right, at this time, we'll release all the kiddos for Children's Church. I know it's been a little while since I was here last. Oh. Wow. Oops. Yep. Ventriloquist. Uh, I've been working on that. <laughs> oh, that's good. So. All right. Oh. Oh, God is good. Good to be here. We do have a handout for this morning's message. If you would like a handout and you didn't receive one. I think we have a couple left. Okay, yeah, we got a, is there any left? No? Oh. Uh, somebody's got more than one. <laughs> oh, here we go. Make sure I uh, print out a few more next time. So, it's good to have everyone here this morning. Um, make sure everyone's got a hand. All right, we'll, uh, we'll be, you'll see our text this morning will be in Luke. So Luke chapter 5, you want to turn to Luke chapter 5, and um, I'll go ahead and open us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right into this morning's message. Luke chapter 5, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, again, thankful to be able to preach from your word. Father, again, uh, as always, I pray that you'll just get me out of the way. Please be mindful to deliver your message. This is not my message. This is your message. This is your word. Uh, I'm just uh, so grateful and honored and privileged to be the tool through which you use to deliver your message. And that's all I am as a tool. Father, help me to uh, uh, just empty myself uh, of my desires and, and my will and be filled with the Spirit so that I can do your desires and your will, for your ways are greater than my ways. Uh, Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for everyone who could be here. We lift up those who were unable to attend this morning, whether it's due to illness or Whatever reasons they can't be here this morning, we lift them up to you. Pray that you would be with them. We pray for Pastor Walker and his family, that you would watch over and protect them, keep them safe as they continue on the road to Delaware. We pray, Father, that you would use him mightily in that ministry over there and that your, wor your will will be done in all that and through all this. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 5, we're going to be starting in verse 27. And reading down through verse 39, the Bible says, And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered, said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? And he said unto them, Can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. 
And he spake also the parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent. And the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst and bottles be spilled and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. He saith, the old is better. You'll notice the, the, the title of this morning's message is Change in Hope. And, and the word change can be a very scary word. A lot of people don't like change. Uh, they, they balk when they, when they hear the word change. Galilee Baptist Church is going through some change. Pastor Walker has an opportunity. God's calling him to a different ministry. There's nothing any of us can do about it. He's leaving. He left. He's gone. The Lord's led me here, and I'm thankful for this opportunity. And whether we like it or not, change happens. And we can learn to embrace it, or we can freak out about it. Uh, I, I, think of, I think back to... In 2012, the Obama campaign slogan was change. It started out just change, and eventually it, it, uh, it evolved into hope and change. Hope and change. And, and there were a lot of people who were not thrilled about what he was selling, and there were many others who were super excited to have him come in and bring change to this nation that he was claiming to bring. After eight years in office, um, there, you know, his hope and change, a, a lot of people who were finding they, they weren't happy with what was going on, and there were a lot of bumper stickers. I don't know if you remember seeing them. There were these bumper stickers on people's vehicles that said, how's that hopey, changey thing working out for you? And, and at the end of that eight years, along comes a man named Donald Trump. And Donald Trump comes on the scene and, well, I dare say there were a lot of people not ready for that change. There were a lot of people not ready for, he, he too was offering change, and, and he too was on that side of the hopey, changey thing not working out. And he was talking about making America great again. And there were people on there that said, America's always been great. It doesn't need to be made great again. But we know that that was really a dig on the prior administration and how he was going to make things better. And there were those who embraced Donald Trump, but I dare say that Donald Trump's presidency, uh, we have never seen more resistance to, that, to, to change in this country than we did than when, when we went from Mr. Donald Trump to President Donald Trump. There was so much resistance. I, I, I never have seen a president so despised in our nation's history, yet maybe even so loved in that respect. Some people don't want to accept their need for change. There is a need for change. There's always things are going to happen. Change comes. And we must remember uh, you know, that 
how we respond to it. That's what we're looking at. Are, are we going to respond to change? Are we going to embrace it and try to, to, to just go along with the ride? Or, or as many people we saw during the Trump administration, there was total meltdowns, people totally melting down. I remember watching that election and, and watching as, and the people were bawling and crying because they thought this country was, in their mind, was going to be destroyed by this man. There are people who are so resistant to change. I heard the story about a doctor who told a man once that he needed to stop eating red meat. So he decided he wouldn't put ketchup on his hamburgers anymore. That's being resistant to change, right? We don't want to do that. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Are you comfortable with where your life is? How do you handle change? And if something was to come on and happen in your life that required drastic change, how would you react to that change? How would you react to that? Would you embrace it? Or would you melt down? Let me put it another way. Are you willing to change for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to change for the sake of the gospel? In our text this morning, we can see three critical changes that need to take place for the sake of the gospel. And the first change that needs to, be, that needs to take place is a change of hire. A change of hire. Look at verses 27 through 29. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. We need a change of hire. Ultimately, each and every one of us makes a decision at some point of life what we're, what we're going to do, where, what we're going to do with our lives. We see here in, in this first verse, in verse 27, the first part, that Levi was a publican. Now, I, I don't know if it was his desire always to be a publican, but what is a publican? A publican is a tax collector. Uh, tax collectors were not very highly viewed people by the Jewish people in that day. Uh, they were despised because they, they, it was believed that tax collectors, um, that they were um, working with the Romans, which was totally a big no-no. Uh, the Jewish people despised the Romans. They, they viewed these publicans as Roman sympathizers. And, and one of the reasons was they were looked at corrupt, being corrupt people. See, a lot of, there were men who wanted to be tax collectors because the Romans only cared about what they were, was owed to them. Okay? And so these Jewish, these, these tax collectors would collect taxes and they would collect more than what was actually due. And therefore, uh, they would take this money and then they would pay the Romans what was due and what was left over, they got to keep. So some of these tax collectors were very wealthy. Zacchaeus, we've learned about Zacchaeus, was a very wealthy man. Uh, and he claimed that if he took wrong from some people, I think he believed it said he would give tenfold back to who he robbed. So ultimately, we come into this uh, you know, here's this, this field, this field, he, he's serving self. Levi is serving self. He's gone into a field where it's corrupt. He's probably been cheating people. He's become wealthy through it. And he's serving self here. And that's, that's no different than 
any of us. At some point in our life, before we were saved, what did we do? We served self. I didn't get saved until I was 30 years of age. I served myself for 30 years. I was really good at it. I, I, I often think of my kids. I often ask my kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And pick on my son a little bit here because he is here and he is real. Um, but my son would often, uh, you know, I'd ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? When he was younger, man, he was always, I'm going to be a pilot, Dad. I want to fly planes. I want to I fly fighter jets for the Air Force. That's evolved into, I, I just wanted to go in the Air Force, Dad. I don't think I want to fly now, but I, I do want to serve in the military. You know, and, and that's great. And I'm like, Trayton, that's awesome. That is really good. Now you told me what you want to do. Tell me what God wants you to do. See, we often leave God out of the equation. We are good at following self. But we see here in this same verse that, G, that Levi was sitting at the receipt of custom. He was a publican. But Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And what does 28 say? And he left all, rose up, and followed him. How many times do we take the time to consider what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? I, I'm good at follow, doing what I want to do. I know my will, but what's God's will? And that's what we see here. We need to, we need to follow Jesus. There needs to be a change of higher. We need to go from following self to following Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, and he did so without question. Jesus' call to Levi was not a request. It was a command. He doesn't say, will you follow me? No, he said, follow me. It was an order. The mode is imperative. Clearly, our Lord spoke with great spiritual authority because Levi immediately left all, rose up, and followed him. Levi responded as Jesus would want each and every one of us to respond. It, do we not forget that this book that we're holding, that we're reading this morning, is full of commands from Jesus? Are we obeying them? Or are we picking and choosing out what we want to obey and discarding what we don't like and what we don't want to obey. Who do you work for? Do you work for God or do you work for men? That's what you have to ask yourself. Are you, are you serving the Savior or are you serving self? There are two kinds of people in the world today. There's only two, two kinds of people. Saved and unsaved. That's it. So how does an unsaved person start working for Jesus? Well, before one can be a follower of Christ, one must uh, know him as their Savior. So how does a person come to know and trust Jesus as their Savior? The, the Bible says in, in uh, 1 John 5, verse 13, these things are written that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So the question is, do, are you sure? Do, do you know that if you were to die today, you would spend eternity in heaven? Are you 100% sure? I, I dare say, if you are 99.9% .9 sure you're going to heaven, then you're 100% lost. Because you can know without a shadow of doubt, 100% sure. I know that if I die today, I will be in heaven with Jesus for all of eternity. Well, how do you know that? First and foremost, you must recognize that we are all sinners. It starts with, Understanding <coughs> excuse me, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. 
everyone on the face of the earth, it doesn't matter who they are, is a sinner in need of a Savior. At some point in life, we've all are sin- we are all sinners, born sinners, in need of a Savior. Next, we must understand the penalty of our sins. And once we understand that we are a sinner, we must understand that there is a penalty for these sins and that we need a Savior, right? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Now understand that when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, yes, death came upon all men. Physical death. But the word death here in Romans 6.23 is returning from eternal separation from God for all eternity. See, the wages, God is holy. We must remember God is holy and heaven is a holy place. Therefore, sin will not be allowed in heaven. God will not allow it. So, therefore, we must understand that if we're a sinner, we need something that can save us. And therefore, we need a Savior. And that's what I love about Romans 6.23. It starts off so negative, but it ends so positive. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is a gift to each and every one who will receive him. The greatest thing I can think of, of with salvation to try to understand if, if anyone here doesn't, hasn't trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the best way to understand this is picture yourself in the middle of the ocean and you don't know how to swim and you're not on a boat. You're just out there floating. But there's somebody there with a life preserver and they've thrown it to you and it's just sitting there within arm's length away. You have the opportunity to reach out and grab that life preserver and hold on to it for buoyancy and to keep you afloat and to save you from drowning. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus. Jesus is an arm length away. He's a few words away. He's a prayer away. Heart belief. He's just from here, from here to here away from you. If you just trust him in your heart, if you'll reach out, if you will ask him to save your soul, you can know 100% that you'll spend eternity in heaven. He is the life preserver that each and every one of us needs from the day we are born. Once we understand, uh, oh, and then understand that he is the only way of salvation. I want you to understand that there there isn't another way. There aren't multiple ways to heaven. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. (coughs) Salvation is by... uh, is through Christ and Christ alone. So once we understand this, then we must believe and make that profession of faith. And that's the key. There must be a heart belief. Uh, Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. And that's, that's the key right there. There are a lot of people who, who know who Jesus is. Who, who believe in what Jesus is. The demons know who Jesus is, but they're not going to heaven. It's that heart belief that hap- has to happen. Um, there's that idea that, you know, the, the distance between your knowledge of Jesus and your heart, sometimes that's all that's, that's the distance separating you from heaven. 
Because we know, we, we, we know in our minds who Jesus is, but we don't get that heart belief. And that's why it's so important that when we're out soul winning and we're, we're leading people to Christ and we get them to pray a prayer, that we don't just drop it there. We need to be following up. We need, how do we know that what they pray, they truly believe? If they truly believe it, they'll want to come to church. They'll, they'll want to know more about Jesus. They'll want to grow. They'll want to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we're not called to lead people to Christ. We're called to disciple. We're called to disciple people. We, that Part of that is leading them to Christ. Then getting them into church and le- leading, them to, or, uh, leading them to know more about Christ and to develop their relationship. So we need to... Uh, there needs to be that heart belief. So ultimately, that's how a saved person changes higher. They go from serving self to serving God. They have to get saved, an unsaved person. But how about a saved person? Once you're saved, you know, um, I, I know when I first got saved, uh, I, I wasn't like on fire for God right away. Uh, you know, I mean, I was thankful I was going to heaven. Uh, <clears throat> and it took some time in the church to grow. Thankfully, we were continuing to church and I was learning things. But I can see where a lot of people who get saved get that idea, I punched my ticket to heaven, now I can go do whatever I want. I can live my life however I want. But we must understand, again, it's about a change of higher. Once you've trusted Christ, you should already be living your life as a follower of Christ. You now work for God, not for yourself. And there are two questions that come into mind with regards to this relationship that you're developing with God. If you're really working for God, two questions come to mind. When you go to work every day, um, or whatever you're doing each, uh, every day, do you put forth the effort that would be worthy of your Lord and Savior? Are you putting forth the effort? Are you giving God your all in that effort? See, Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. And that's what we must remember. I, I had the opportunity to disciple a, uh, a man in our church back there at Friendship. And in that time that I was discipling, he often would share with me how he was, it was so important for him. He had, he had gotten saved in a young life, but he had that attitude. He's like, dude, I punched my ticket. I'm going to heaven. I can do whatever I want now. And it doesn't matter. And eventually, he got back into church and found out that's not how it works. And so this man was telling me one day, he said, you know, man, I just don't want to fail my boys. It's two young boys going through a divorce, his wife. So he's just telling me, man, when I'm with my boys, I, w- I refuse. I am not going to drink alcohol. I haven't touched alcohol for a long time, and I don't want to fail my boys. And I said, that's admirable. That's great, brother, but... Let me ask you something. You have your boys this week, but they'll be with their mother next week, right? Yep. So what's to say you can't have a few drinks while they're gone? They'll never know, right? He kind of looked at me. I said, but you know what? If you stop drinking for Jesus Christ, he's always with you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And therefore, if you give it up for Jesus Christ, your boys benefit from that the whole time. You're not going to fail them because you're not going to fail Jesus. So we got to make sure there's a change of hire. Who are we doing this for? Who are we giving our best? We give it to the Lord. 
Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, right? When we consider what it is, what Jesus did for us, should we not be willing to give him? God gave us his best. He gave us his son. God gave us his best, his only begotten son. Therefore, shouldn't we give Jesus our best? Our lives should be a sacrifice. Are we willing to give up everything for the gospel, for, for Jesus Christ? The second question that comes to mind is, as Christians, are you proud of who you work for? Once you understand who you work for and you're giving them your best, are you actually proud of who you work for? See, verse 29 here it says, and Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. So here he is, this great company, you know, and so he's having a celebration. You know what? Levi wasn't afraid to tell people about Jesus Christ. Are you? Do you go to work? Do you tell people about Jesus Christ? Do you share the gospel with people now that you're saved? Are you on fire? Do you tell your coworkers? Are you asking people if they know Jesus? Besides, what's wrong with just simply asking? On January 1st, 2010, a law went into effect in Texas that requires Department of Public Safety clerks to ask all drivers, license applicants, if they wish to become an organ donor. The result of the new law more than doubled the number of registered organ donors. Think of what could happen if Christians would simply ask people if they knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior if everybody did it, if we did it com constantly. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Is that why we don't tell people about it? Levi also left behind a material fortune to pursue. Jesus Christ. He was so proud of what he was doing, and now he's telling all these guys, look, I just quit my job, man. I'm, I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. And here's who Jesus is, and you guys need to get on board. Levi's excited about this opportunity. You know, Billy Sunday became a great evangelist, but Billy Sunday was offered a lucrative contract now to play baseball. And he turned it down to tell people about Jesus Christ. He chose Jesus over the profession of baseball. Now, granted, he didn't make what they make today, but he made a it was a lot of money in that day, and he turned it down. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Are you giving Jesus your best? Are you bold enough to stand up for Jesus? Are you willing to put away material rewards to strive for spiritual rewards? Are you proud of who you work for? So the first critical change we see is there must be a change of hire for the sake of the gospel. The next change we look at is there must be a change of heart. Look at verses 30 through 32. But their, their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
I want you to see first and foremost in verse 30 the Pharisees' response. Look at the Pharisees' response. Look, they're critical of these sinners. They're critical of, uh, of these people that Jesus is associating with. Um, they're not happy with what Jesus is selling them. But at the same time, he's, they're just critical that he's with them. And we've got to be careful that as churches that we don't become critical of people in this world and we don't want them to come through those doors. Everyone is entitled to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Whether they're covered in tattoos or they've got piercings or they have different colored hair. White's okay. So. Um, doesn't matter. Uh, we, we, we are to love everyone because Jesus did. And if we're going to be like Christ, then we need to be like Christ. We don't take offense to certain people because they want to, to come in. We teach the truth. We don't, we don't waver on the truth, but we have to do it in a loving way. But what, I, I love what Jesus says here in verse 32. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I love how he says this to them. Okay, what's he doing here? What's he telling these Pharisees? He's saying, look, guys, um, I didn't come to call the righteous. Who are the righteous? There's none righteous, no, not one, right? So why would Jesus even say that? Because the Pharisees believe they're righteous. I'm not I'm here to call the righteous. I'm, I'm here to call sinners. I, I love how he gives the idea of being a physician. So, um, I'm sure every one of us in here has come across and known somebody who, who's had cancer or even died of cancer. It's a terrible, terrible disease. And Jesus talks about using the idea of a physician. So I ask you this. This morning, if you were here this morning, and let's just say you knew the cure for cancer, would you tell people about it? Would you, would, you be, would you want people to know what the cure for cancer is? I dare say if you had the cure for cancer and you didn't tell people about it, how awful would that be? May I say to you this morning that sin is a cancer and it's causing eternal death for a lot of people and we as believers know the cure for cancer? Who are we telling about it? Are we keeping the cure to ourselves? Jesus is the cure. Are we sharing the cure? Jesus is saying, look, I want these people to come to repentance. Today, people sit in churches content with their lives, but do, not, do nothing to reach lost people outside the church. They also are only concerned for those who come through their doors. We should not become so callous to the fact that people need to hear the gospel. We should not become comfortable in their own salvation that we don't think we need to share the gospel with others when we get to the, this point, we're no better than the Pharisees. We want to make sure people are coming through the doors, but we need to also be going out these doors. Remember, this is just a building, but we are the church. The church leaves, and this just remains a building. It's the church's responsibility to tell people about Jesus Christ. Christopher Searcy was uh, playing basketball with his friends on May 16, 1998, when he was shot in the chest and a bullet perforated his aorta. His friends helped him to get within 40 feet of the entrance to Ravenswood Hospital and then went inside and asked for help. The hospital staff refused to help Christopher, saying that it was against the hospital's policies to administer aid to those outside the hospital. 
Eventually, a policeman was able to get a wheelchair and wheeled Christopher into the hospital where he was helped by, his, by the hospital staff. It was too late, however, and Christopher died about an hour later. Many times it seems that churches are surrounded by people that desperately need to hear the gospel, yet Christians are content to share it only with those who manage to come inside those doors. This ought not to be. We should not be waiting for people to come in the doors. We should be going out and inviting them to come into these doors. Our response cannot be one like that of the Pharisees. I got a little ahead of myself. Now we look at Jesus' response in verses 31 and 32. And I shared that. Jesus' response was one as a physician. As a physician, what's he say? Look, uh, I need you guys uh, to understand your heart problem. Right? There needs to be a change of heart. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. He uses the physician idea to talk about people that need uh, help. It's like being told you have cancer and going and, and, and there's a treatment for it and then denying the treatment. I know people do that, uh, but that's, that's exactly what it is. If you deny the treatment, that's what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus was the treatment for their heart problem, and they chose to reject it. So we need to understand that there is a cure for this cancer of sin, and it starts with repentance. Biblical repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. It must be accompanied by faith. Ultimately, is repentance a requirement for salvation? I believe it is. Acts 3, verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Therefore you must repent. Repentance is necessary because it's a call to turn from idols unto the true living God. It, it pulls us away from sin. It pulls us away from idols. We must repent. I mean, what is biblical repentance? Biblical repentance is, is I'm on a road of sin, and I must turn from that, and I must head down a different path in a direction towards Jesus Christ. That's repentance, turning away from sin and turning towards God. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how we turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Turn from our idols, turn from our sin to serve the true and living God. And how do we serve the true and living God? We tell people about Jesus Christ. That's how we're served. That we, we go into the world. We tell people about Jesus Christ. Jesus' response of one of finding <coughs> uh, Jesus' response was one of going and finding the lost people and reaching them. That's what he's doing right here. He went into that party with sinners and publicans. Because he's trying to reach the lost. He didn't come to call the righteous. He didn't just hang out with the apostles. He didn't just hang out with his apostles and, and, and wait for somebody to come up to him and say, Hey, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? You'll be waiting a long time. We cannot just sit and minister to our friends and family in church. We must get out there and find those lost sheep that need to come home to their shepherd. And Jesus is the shepherd of this church. I'm just an under-shepherd. He's the true shepherd. With all this, now we need to look thirdly at the Christian response. What's the Christian response? The tr Christian response needs to be a change of heart for the lost. We are supposed to be like Christ. We are supposed to preach the gospel. 
God alone can save the world, but God will not save the world alone. He uses human instrumentality to reach lost people. Jesus tells us in Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to all of mankind. You need to tell, that's our job. Jesus taught 12 apostles and then he left. Could Jesus have reached the whole world? Yes, he's God. That's not how he's doing it. Do we love Jesus enough to tell people about Jesus Christ, to tell people the gospel, to tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection. We all have been commanded to preach, to proclaim. Why? God's will is for every person to be saved, so our, our will should be in line with his will. Remember, God's will is for every person to be saved. There is somebody out there, I've met him myself, and I thought, there is no way I'm witnessing to that person because there's no way I'll ever reach that cold, dead heart of theirs. That's not for us to decide. That's between them and God. We are still to be used. God's will is for every person to be saved. That's why I am not a Calvinist. That is why I do not believe that people were created for heaven and created for hell. I believe that this, the opportunity... That, that, that life preserver, that all of us are floating in the ocean, and there's life preservers enough for everyone out there if they'll just reach out and grab it. Jesus is powerful enough to save all 7 billion people that are still in this world today. If they will just accept it. How do we know this is God's will? 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why am I not a Calvinist? Because I believe any means any, and I believe all means all. 1 Timothy 2.4 even adds more weight. Who will have all men, God, talking about God, who will have all men to be saved? And that word men, ladies, that's not excluding you, it means all mankind. All of mankind to be saved. <coughs> to come unto the knowledge of the truth. We need to come unto the knowledge of the truth. He wants us all to be saved, and he wants us all to know the truth. And Jesus is the truth, is he not? How can we reach every person? I want to give a quick illustration here. I know we're getting a little, it's a little after 12 here, but I want to show a quick illustration. How do we reach the world? Okay, look at Acts 2.41 in your hand out there. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I want you to see how we reach the world. It's, it's, a, it's a difference between adding and multiplying. In, in Acts 2.41, we see adding. So, so I, I'm going to start a new church, brand new church in Stephenville. All right? I need to grow my church. So what do I do? I need to get out in the community. I need to invite people to church. So I'm going to start with my son. Trayton, you're not my son in this illustration. You're going to come forward. I need you to come up here. So I go out. I find this young man. I lead him to the Lord. He starts coming to church regularly. My first month in Stevensville, and I've led one man to the Lord, and he's coming to church every week, or he's coming faithfully. Month two comes along. I'm out soul winning again. And I go out, and I bring somebody else to the Lord. Dean, will you come forward? You're okay with it? Just for an illustration. Nobody has to really do anything right now, but 
Month two, in Stevensville, I've led two people to the Lord. I'm adding unto the church. This is adding to the church. This is a good thing. Okay? Month three comes along. Tammy, I'll have you come forward. Oh, actually, whichever one wants to come forward. I keep forgetting. That's all right. I got month four coming up. So we'll reach, all right? And then month four, Tammy, you come forward. So in four months, I've added four people to the church. I've added four people to the church, okay? So go ahead and I'll have you guys sit down. Trust me, you'll be coming back up. All right. Now look at verse Acts 9.31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. They were multiplied. So how, how do we reach the world? If we're going to reach it one person at a time, which really we do, but the problem was a lot of churches today are doing exactly what I just stated. They are reaching people, getting them saved, getting them to come to church. And they're falling short. So here I am again, brand new, but I have a different philosophy. So now Trayton, I reach Trayton, he comes forward. This time I've led him to the Lord and he's spending a month in church coming to my church. But this time I discipled him. This time I taught him what it means to be a Christian. I taught him what it means to serve Jesus Christ with his life. And now, month two, I'm going out to invite somebody else. But so is my soul winning partner. So go pick somebody. I'm getting Dean again. <laughs> and so, month one was no different when I added unto the church than when I multiplied. But month two, I had two people added to the church, and now I have four. And, I've and now Trayton disciples, I disciple Dean, and month three, we all go out and invite somebody to church and lead somebody to the Lord. So go pick somebody. Anyone? Pick with so yeah. yeah, all right, Tammy, you want to come up? and We'll get the other Tam Tammy can come up too. And ultimately now, here we are in month three, and our church has grown to eight people, should be. Two, four, six, seven. Did we oh, somebody forgot to get somebody. <laughs> All right. Dean well, didn't get somebody. Well, I, I thought I grabbed. You oh, Trayton didn't. Trayton didn't grab somebody. So, oh. Anyways, we're up to eight. That's all right. You guys go ahead and sit down. Because ultimately what I want you to show you is by month four, you know, visually I wanted you to see, do you see the number of people that are standing? By month four, there would have been 16 of us standing here. And by month five, 32. Because the, ultimately the idea is we want to replicate Jesus. Jesus Christ replicated 12 men who were like him, who all 12 of those men went out and started churches and went out and led people to Christ and trained people to do the same thing. Paul had Timothy. Paul had Apollos. Paul, Paul was leading people. And then you had Barnabas. It wasn't just the apostles after a while. The apostles were the foundation. Jesus was the cornerstone. And the church is built from that. And we are the walls. We are the windows. We are, we are the, the rafters. But it's still our job to get into the community and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understand that apathy is killing the church today. Apathy. We're just comfortable coming here, hearing our message, going home, and calling it good. And waiting till next week or the next service. 
We don't want to be pew warmers. We need to be getting, we need to get, uh, you know, we need to be getting our, our shoes dirty. We need to be getting out there and reaching people with the gospel. So for the sake of the gospel, there must be a change of hire. And there must be a change of heart. And finally, we need a change of habit. And we see this through verses 33 through 39. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all. <coughs> but understand that I want you to see that they talk about, Jesus talks about fasting. Jesus talks about the new garment and the old garment. And then he talks about the new wineskins and the old wineskins. So what's he all talking about in all this? What's the whole idea behind the, the feasting and the fasting. You know, he, the, the Pharisees are like, hey, how come these guys are not fasting? And he, what's he say? He says, well, you know, the bridegroom's here. The, the, while the bridegroom's with them, it's a time for feasting, not fasting. It's a time for, for celebrating. Soon the bridegroom will be gone. And then there'll be time to fast. Uh, I think the best illustration I can give you to apply it to today is, you know, a lot of people like to go on diets, Right? But what kind of fool wants to go on a diet right before Thanksgiving and Christmas? You're picking the wrong time to go on a diet. It's not going to work, right? And that's what he's saying here. Look, look, there'll be plenty of time for it. That's what we have New Year's for, all right? It's a new year, and now I'm going to lose weight. So, But ultimately, Jesus is saying, he's talking to him about this. Then he goes into the new garment and the old garment. You can't take a new garment, you can't take a piece of a new, brand new fabric and put it on an old garment. Why? Because the new fabric's brighter, it, it looks way, you know, it looks new. And you're putting it on, and so now it's going to stand out. And on top of that, the new garment, what happens to clothes when we wash them? They shrink. And therefore, this patch shrinks, and now it could actually tear and cause it to be worse and uglier looking than it did before the hole was patched. And lastly, he talks about the new wineskins and old wineskins. He says, look, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. Why? Well, wineskins are made out of, they're made out of, uh, you know, the uh, animal skins. And over time and use, they lose their pliability. They no longer become pliable. And therefore, uh, what happens when you put new wine, well, what happens? Wine goes through a fermentation process. Brand new wine is essentially grape juice. There's no alcoholic content to it. That's why it tastes so much better, right? And so ultimately, they say, you know, you put it in there, it starts fermenting. And when it goes through the fermenting process, it expands. Well, an old wineskin has no pliability anymore. It's going to expand. It's going to burst to that wineskin. Where a brand new wineskin has some pliability, it's going to move. It's going to allow that wine to, to go through its process. So both these, uh, these illustrations, what do I want you to understand here is that Jesus is trying to simply say, look, I want you to understand, I'm introducing something new called Christianity. And it's not the same thing as what you're used to, Judaism. You cannot take, and Christianity is not a patch for Judaism. Because what were the Judaizers doing? They were saying, oh yeah, yeah okay, yeah, you've got to trust Jesus, but you still have to be circumcised you still got to become a Jew. No. Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand. It's for the Greek and the Jew. It's for all. Therefore, this is not a patch. This is not, you can't, you, it's not going to work that way. You've you got to accept me for who, accept it for what it is. It's a change, guys. 
There's a change coming, and you need to get on board. And that's what he's telling them. And there's a change coming for us. We're living in a world today that is evil, that hates God, and we still have to reach it. I dare say it's probably a lot harder to reach people with the gospel today than it was 30, 40, 50 years ago when our country was still somewhat on fire for God, before, before Bible was taken out of schools and prayer was taken away from schools. Now we teach our kids to hate God. We don't give them the tools they need. That's why we have churches that we need children in here. We want kids in Sunday school. And the only way that's going to happen is if we get out these doors and we go door knocking, we, we invite people. We don't, it doesn't even have to simply be door knocking. Talk to people when you're at the grocery store. Talk to people when you're at a function. When you have the opportunity, always look for opportunity. Look for those divine appointments. Just start a conversation and build a relationship. In each of these two cases, Jesus is pointing out, they do not mix. The time of feasting is a, and time of fasting, they don't mix. A new patch and an old garment, they do not mix. A new wine and old wineskin. Jesus was noting that his way and the way of the Pharisees are not going to mix. The Pharisees were not giving in to Jesus. They were stuck in the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Not to destroy it, but to fulfill it. The new kingdom Jesus offered was a change from old ways of doing things. Jesus was trying to show them that he was providing them a new way. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And he offers this new garment, Christianity, in replace of an old one, Judaism. Verse 39, I'll read that one real quick. It says, No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. And what does this show us? That the Pharisees are refusing Christianity because they believe the old way is better. So how do we apply that? How do we apply that? We can cling to the old ways of coming to church for fellowship, to learn and grow our relationship with Christ, and then simply be content with leaving and just going about our business, our regular days, and moving on and coming back the next of the week. Or we can embrace the change that is needed to reach the lost world. We're going to keep, if we're going, um, are we going to keep what we know to ourselves? Or are we going to share the gospel with our community? As Christians, we too must remain pliable so that we can accept Jesus' life-changing message. He tells us to go and preach the gospel, and therefore, we must go. So ultimately, we must understand that change is necessary for the sake of the gospel. We need a change of hire. Who are you following? You need to follow Jesus. We need a change of heart. Where's your focus? Is it focused on your wealth or the lost souls of men? We need to change our habit. We must break from the old routine of just simply coming to church, hearing a message, and calling it good for the week. We need to get on fire taking the gospel to our community, telling more about Jesus. In the end, we all must change that others may have hope. If everybody will please stand with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to offer a moment of invitation.
head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't, don't walk out those doors today without taking care of that. You need a change of hire. You need to, you need to give up on your life and, and give it over to Jesus. If there's anyone here this morning that you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, your Lord and Savior, I'd like to pray for you. And there's nobody looking around uh, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Uh, if, if that's you this morning, you've never trusted Jesus, you'd slip your hand in the air. I'd like to pray for you. Believer, who are you working for? Self or the Savior? Where's your heart focus? Is it on your wealth? Is it on uh, the things of this world? Or is it on the souls of men, lost souls of men? Are you willing to change your habits to serve Jesus? As the music plays, this time is yours. Don't be afraid to come forward to an old-fashioned altar and bring it to the Lord. If, if the Holy Spirit's working on you, come forward. All right, if everybody just look up here for a minute, we'll close in prayer in just a second. But 